0: This podcast is sponsored by Bath Physics Society. Get your physics. <laughs> I don't
1: membership
0: know. today. We live in a society based on physics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nothing Worth Saying. Today, we're going to be talking about the NHS and healthcare And uh, I was going to make a joke about how we're rather understaffed, but like Boris Johnson, we've pledged to increase the number of staff members, and we've got uh, Marina back with us today. Hello. Hello.
2: Hopefully you can hear her today. (laughs) Mm. I'll
0: try my best. Yes, Tom Hawkins, uh, uh, nothing worth saying, regular, is away being a football hooligan this week, uh, so he will not be joining us for this uh, rather critical episode. But as well as Marina, I am joined by Tom Marsden and Ellis. We've got uh, quite a lot to get through today, so I'll just give a brief overview. First, we're going to be going over a very brief history of the NHS and how it was founded. We then discuss the crisis it is currently facing and the challenges still yet to come, including everyone's favourite, Brexit, and compare them to the current system and other healthcare systems in place throughout the world. So, like I said, there's a lot to get through today, but we'll get through this faster than you can say "A and E wait times. So... To begin with, uh the NHS was arguably the first uh universal healthcare system in the world. It has been this has been disputed for some reason, but I could not find any example no idea. Uh, of, of a similar system being introduced, so I don't know where it, was, it came from that it was arguably the first. But it was founded by Aneurin Bevan, the Health Minister of uh, Clement Attlee's Labour government in the uh post-war years and was formally introduced and launched on the 5th of July, 1948. There had been rumblings about a National Health Service system during the war, but obviously with the war going on, these plans were uh, not implemented. With Conservative MP Henry Willink writing a white paper endorsing the NHS in uh, 1944, with the three principles of free point of use, finance from central taxation and not national insurance, and that everyone was eligible. The main differences with Aaron Bevan's version were, were that he didn't think that local authorities could run hospitals. They were too small and they were too hard to manage. So he brought all the hospitals under a single organized hospital service known as the NHS. The NHS Act was written in 1946 and received royal assent in November. And, like I said before, formally launched on the 5th of July, 1948. Today, the NHS is 98.8% funded from general taxation and national insurance contributions. In the 2008-09 budget, the contribution of each person in Britain was around £1,980. It is the fifth largest employer in the world and has been copied, or roughly copied, by many other countries since its introduction. So, well, we've got that out of the way, let's discuss the current problems, of which there are many. The most obvious problem to the NHS today, which you can't go, I don't think, a single day without hearing about spending cuts and austerity. So, I'd just like to open the floor. What do people think of these?
3: Yeah, I think there's no denying that the NHS has been pretty badly hit by the cuts um apparently even theresa may's pledge of 3.4 percent spending increase was only going to keep it at current capacity or at the current level of um of use whereas there's obviously been consistent issues with it that need to be addressed so just having it basically stagnate under the austerity period means that there's a lot now needed to do because the needs of the or the demands of the populace have increased over the whole period. And the NHS spending hasn't increased in line with
2: that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to say that when people say the NHS has been cut under the Tories, spending itself, like it hasn't actually been cut, it's just the spending itself has been cut. Yeah. So UK health spending has historically grown at 3.6% a year, according to the uh, IFS. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know Labour have a problem with it, it seems yeah. <laughs> uh, but however between 2009-10 and 2018-19 it grew by just 1.3% a year and I, I think that's obviously the key determinant of why the NHS mm. is beginning to fail um, I think the Nuffield Health the Nuffield Trust sorry uh, looked at 10 crucial trends uh, measuring the quality of the NHS between 2009-10 and 2016-17 and um, of the targets outlined in 2009-10 7 well, of, of the targets measuring quality, seven on, on seven measures, the quality has gone down.
0: I think I think one of the important things to note is that during the Blair years, uh, spending levels increased by 6% a year on average per year. Mm. And then since 2010, like you said, it's been constrained to about just over a 1% increase per year. Mm. So what you're essentially creating is this massive like increase and then just stop. So you're almost like growing it growing out the service and then you stop the spending but it's got nothing yeah y- y- you know it there's there's nothing there anymore well for instance you look at things like you can see the impact of spending on
2: a and e waiting times mm-hmm. i think the target since mid 2010 was five percent and uh, yeah the source i started earlier said that apparently we've met that target until about mid 2014
3: that's sorry. that's five percent shouldn't be waiting more yeah, than yeah, four 5% hours shouldn't yeah. be
2: waiting more than four hours and we met that target until 2014 and then since then we've barely met it at all yeah and it, that,
0: yeah it's funny because the the 2015 target was for four years any wait times and that is four years, four years. No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's a long time to wait
2: isn't
0: it <laughs> four hours the 2015 targets four hours so what it that's not just waiting that's you get there you get checked in you get treated, and then you get sent home, or yeah. stay overnight. Yeah. And that target is now getting scrapped, because it just doesn't work.
2: Ambitious, yeah.
0: isn't it? it's, it's, it's too ambitious, because it doesn't take into account severity, uh, like priority, mm. how busy it's going to be anyway. It's, it's better to measure, to, to set targets for the individual aspects of an, of an A&E visit so yeah. you know you get there and you get how, how long does it take you to get checked in how long does it take you before you're actually seen because I don't know if you, any of you guys have been to A&E yeah. recently I've been twice not for myself but with um, friends in the past year and both times I was there I'd say five hours at least Really? so See, I, was, I mean it, this yeah, is in yeah. the middle of the night granted this is in the middle of the night but you know five, five hours is a long it's time just, yeah
1: way too significant for yeah what you'd expect especially like for me coming from a spanish point of view i've never heard anything like that Mm. especially when i had to go to a and e or like when we went on our graduate trip um people had like serious things happen to them we had to go to emergency rooms for maximum half an hour of wait in the middle of the night
2: i think it's a big thing to do time like if you go i went in very early in the morning see you straight away but there's also a matter of being a bit of a postcode lottery of mm-hmm. where you are seen and perhaps yeah. up north in in one in Newcastle isn't as good as one in the southeast where I'm from. Well, I think also um,
3: a big issue like your is about, uh, you hear stories about like ambulance wait people waiting in ambulances mm-hmm. for half an hour before even the ambulance can get them into A&E and I know that I, I went recently uh, again with a friend and we were going in the afternoon so it was like three, four in the afternoon and we did only wait two hours so mm-hmm. that wasn't too bad and that was for the whole consultation and then to get out of there so I guess it does vary massively as to how quickly you are seen but but
0: yeah the I mean I mean that's like what you said before like it's it's a good point but both of these times I went it was at the RUH the one in Bath oh really yeah yeah so I think you definitely do have a point especially like where you are if you're in say a more rural area rural going to a rural A&E department compared to an urban one while the rural one might be a lot less busy it'll also be a lot Mm. more understaffed potentially think, well one of the main postcode lottery sort of things
2: is um in children uh, yeah. mental health support definitely so especially for adhd so children suspected of having it uh, it's just up in the air where it depends on what part of the country mm-hmm. you go and um, some areas it's straight away you, you're diagnosed with adhd others it takes months or even i think it's up to two years mm-hmm. to be diagnosed while
0: obviously children's school's prospects suffer because they're not yeah they're not getting any treatment exactly. and they're not getting any counseling or anything yeah they're, they're waiting for two years for yeah. something that you know if they were told straight away could you know alter the course of their life again i think
3: that a big part of the wait times of things again is staffing like you mentioned at the start is yeah if you look at us compared to europe we have fewer doctors and fewer nurses yeah. than yeah. most of the european countries because our our per capita spending on healthcare is lower
2: than the majority of 90% of hospital bosses in England fear understaffing in NHS England is so extreme that health of patients could suffer. Yeah. And that's, that's basically unanimous, isn't it? Yeah. Um,
3: And also I think if you look at like the, for example, there was a a study done by the Commonwealth Trust and what they were saying was actually the NHS was one of the most efficient systems in terms of the, the spending and its outcomes. It was just unfortunately the spending wasn't enough when you compared it to the other healthcare systems. Mm. So whether or not you agree with how the system works, um, and I think there's as good reasons to say that it does work, it's just that there needs to be the money there in order to make sure that it's growing in order to meet capacity. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I
2: think productivity of NHS is surprisingly high. It, it yeah, runs it's, at three percent. It's really high. But that's due to relying on staff going the extra mile and yeah, not due all to all the them time. Exactly all so, the time. Like you've
0: got you've got like nurses, doctors, pharmacists ancillary staff everyone staying behind after a, like you know they'll stay an extra hour extra like hour and a half or whatever to just make sure that they finish everything that they've done for the day yeah. which you know it's, it sounds like oh you should be just finishing it in the day there's a lot to do in a day yeah. well, especially also, in a hospital in a hospital setting there is a lot to do in a day and that was the crux of the uh junior doctor strike was the mm-hmm.
3: fact that the, the thing that was being cut was their um, overtime pay and they knew that they were going to be working overtime And he was like, "Oh yeah, but you'll get a base salary increase." But it was like, "Well, no, because they're working so much overtime that they just weren't going to be compensated for what they were doing." Mm -hmm.
0: Junior doctors work a ridiculous amount of Mm. overtime. They're like the two the two jobs. I'm quite lucky that I'm doing pharmacy to be honest. The two jobs I would hate to do in the in the NHS because it just looks so tough are nursing and being a junior doctor Mm. because. I, I don't know how they do it, to be honest. Well,
2: apparently, um, a lot of nurses, according to Chris Hobson of the NHS providers, he said that a significant number of people within the NHS are leaving to stack shelves in the supermarket rather than yeah. carry on working there because mm-hmm. the pay is more competitive. Yeah. Um, we've seen pay increase capped at 1% a year. And obviously, people are thinking, why should I go into this industry? I think, um, I mean, unfilled vacancies in 2017, it may have changed in two years, but it reached record levels of 12%. Yeah. So when you see all these pledges about getting more nurses and more doctors, you need to actually incentivize people mm, to yeah. go into those industries.
0: Yeah. I, do yeah. we
3: Sorry, do we know if that 1% is that above inflation or is that not above inflation? Because if that's not in line with inflation, then that's real terms of paying. Inflation's pay higher than that. So yeah, because yeah, that's a, yeah, a pay income. If, that's, yeah. if it's 1% above inflation, then fine. But if it's 1% <laughs> not account
0: for in, inflation, then those people are getting a pay cut every year. Yeah. That's that's a that's a big thing actually. In recent years, doctors' pay—I mean, it, it depends on your role and everything—but mm. has fallen by up to seventeen percent. Jeez. I don't know how long recent years is, but I could, I have a sneaking suspicion that twenty ten uh plays a big role. And you put that in the
3: context of six years of training. Yeah. To get him me- to get your your medical
0: degree, and then also all the debt that accompanies yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Um. So, uh, like we were saying before, uh, with nurses and doctors there's uh, not enough of them just how many that is it's quite ridiculous actually we are currently short of forty-three thousand nurses
1: well i just want to say i think it's kind of a vicious cycle anyway with the uk especially with um foreign nurses and doctors like you were saying lack of the incentive to even come here to work Mm -hmm. especially if you can get a much better treatment and working hours say in norway yeah
0: um
1: it just doesn't help anyway and also with brexit i mean just the numbers of people leaving because of just uncertainty
0: yeah the uh number of people of uh nurses from the eea who have uh who are leaving the nhs has tripled since 2016 which when you combine it with the fact that we've got a 43,000 uh shortage there's no incentive now to do nursing at university because tuition of tuition fees bursaries are being scrapped uh apparently the gap could increase to seventy thousand oh, wow. by 2022 2024
2: but again i think i think the main reason why the nhs is struggling because it is very efficient in its use of medicines mm, very um it's one of the most i think it's one of the most efficient
3: uh health services in the yeah, world yeah we also pay less for the medicines than anyone else because of yeah, exactly the we've got significant but you also uh, have like
1: just nice so the this agency nice mm. which i forget what the acronym stands for but basically are the ones that approve the kind of medicines yeah. the government will pay you to yeah. have um i feel like in spain focus a lot more on um more modern treatments that might miss, like be more expensive for the government to pay for mm. um whereas here it's like oh if this treatment hasn't shown for sure to be effective we won't yeah. pay it for you there's, yeah. a, there's a
3: big thing about cost efficiency here yeah. where so like for example there was the the whole issue with the certain new diabetes mm. medicines and they, they didn't introduce them here because while they've been clinically proven they weren't cost effective so but apparently we had a larger percentage of off-brand well not yeah. off-brand but we're not using the um yeah. the people who hold the pattern for the, for the
0: initially we're initial using a lot we yeah. use generics loads because it's well it's quite simple if you go to say sainsbury's mm. and you see panadol and, par- and sainsbury's own paracetamol they are the same drug yeah and one is two pound and one is 20p. Yeah, it's it's kind of obvious why. So I think the thing is with Nice. Um, I mean, I, I use them a lot. Uh, from with in my degree for um, they provide all the evidence essentially for uh, why drugs are being used, why they're on our formularies. Their evidence base is ridiculously good, and I think that is why we're one of the most efficient uh services in the world, just because we're using so much evidence to go well. If this drug is gonna, so there's a there's a thing called um, uh, like number to treat, where it's like how many people you have to treat for a condition to get a clinical uh, improvement. So say uh, with a stroke, it's how many people do you need to treat with this uh, drug for like one person to not have a stroke within ten years, something like that. And if it goes, if, if say one drug is like 1.1. And the other is one but the one that the one that is one is uh a, like a hundred pounds cheaper we, we won't use the one that's better because you know why would you
3: so do you think that feeds into why we have higher mortality rates for for certain like like things like cancer than we do in our be. european cancer so it's has.
1: definitely but... a lot less emphasis on like experimental treatments mm, yeah. yeah at least i was talking so my mom works in the pharmaceutical industry um and she's worked in spain and norway um, she says there's a big difference in the kind of emphasis that's placed on treatments mm. um, and treatments provided by the state uh, for patients. So oncology, for example, she works on, um, so with cancer. In Spain, they're much more willing to sponsor an experimental treatment for you mm. than they would be in Norway as well. Um, and the UK is similar to Norway in that sense. So I yeah. feel like if it hasn't been proven to work, um, they just won't sponsor it for you. There's mm-hmm. people that just can't afford it, and yeah. obviously um won't be able to get treatment for it yeah
0: experimental treatments here are quite especially with things like monoclonal antibodies and stuff now that they're quite um what's the word apprehensive Mm. uh to go for them just because of the side effect profile it's just a
1: different kind of emphasis though i feel like the uk places more emphasis on kind of clients well i mentioned same client um like, patient treatment, mm. like, upfront treatment, mm-hmm. whereas Spain wouldn't. Um, it's not so much as, like, your experience at the hospital mm. that they care about, it's what treatment are you getting. Yeah. So, you might not have as good of, like, a just day-to-day experience at the hospital with nurses and doctors, but you would get a more experimental treatment paid for you. Mm-hmm. Sure that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But coming back to that, actually, it, there was a report by the BBC in June 2018 Coinciding with the NHS's 70th birthday, in fact, that said, uh, it performs below average at preventing deaths from cancer, stroke, and heart disease. The report did also then note that uh, there is less funding per capita yeah. for our health service. And in yeah, fact, the I thing is, think 30p out of every pound spent on services goes mm-hmm. to health. Yeah. So.
3: But I think that the question is, if you've got nice and the way that we consider what, which drugs are useful. Do we think then that even if there was significantly more funding, that that would still affect those rates in a meaningful way, or?
0: Well, potentially, because we've got the lowest number of doctors, nurses, and beds per capita mm. in the Western world. I think uh, an increase in funding, just you know, just to have more staff members, would definitely increase that. Because I think if start, you've, start you've got I think in, the major issue, yeah, you've um, got I a lot se- of people.
2: Seventy well, percent of NHS bosses, seventy-six percent say. Uh, the major issue with the NHS currently is understaffing. Yeah, that's the so th- I think that's the crux of the yeah. matter. You just
0: got people who are overworked, and then because they're overworked, yeah. they might make poor decisions. And yeah. I think that's I think that's where a lot of accidental or preventable death comes from. It's not from what treatments are using. It, I mean, definitely that it is sometimes, but a lot of the time now, I think it's just based on the fact that we are just like they're just overworked mm. they're making poor decisions they're tired and when you've got you know you've got horror stories about junior doctors having to like juggle just loads of patients because you know new people come in some people like you know things happen on the ward it's it's never a set day mm. so you've got if you had more doctors and had more nurses to help with that you'd be haven't seen a lot i see i say you see a lot of improvement mm. gp numbers are a big thing as well. They were supposed to increase by 5,000 by 2020, have actually decreased by 1,200, or 1,600, if you call them. Just, I don't know, different numbers from for yeah. different people, I guess. Um, and almost half, I think it was about 46% of GPs were planning to quit or reduce their hours due to perilously low morale. Yeah, well... According to the British
2: we, Medical we, Authority. Yeah, I've got stuff from the Medical Protection Society, and it was a study done this year, they found that 52% of doctors feel their work like their work life balance is unsatisfactory, yeah. and 46% feel guilt when they take time off, which is Jeez. really sad in considering it is a job at the end of the day.
1: But I mean, it's just the industry as well, isn't it? Like, because when you take time off, lo- who suffers is your patients. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a spreadsheet. Yeah. At the office. You so probably it see similar things. Feel, it? Yeah, you
3: probably see similar things in most countries mm-hmm. that doctors probably would feel guilty yeah. about taking time off. Well, it's guess, the same as, like, a psychologist. Yeah, but I guess when you have reduced capacity to take time off anyway, then it'd be difficult. But I think if, if you look at other systems, like you look at the German system, which is, is multi-payer, so you have, like, an insurance system, and, and you pay in and your employer pays in, so it's roughly 15% of your salary, but the employer pays 7% of that. Um, their system works absolutely fine. Sort of our system, where you've got a single payer, and it's funded centrally through taxes, also seems to work absolutely fine. It just seems to be funding is the main issue. Mm. Like we're not spending enough money. Like Germans are spending more than us on healthcare. And the French have a, a different system again, which is more similar to ours. But again, they're spending more on their healthcare. And again, they're, they're both meeting the targets of uh, for cancer and, and for um, heart attacks and strokes, I think it is. So it just seems to be funding that's the main yeah. problem for us. Yeah. But I guess how do you recruit all of these doctors and nurses as well? Can you justify funding
1: yeah, that much cycle. more for
3: the salaries? Because mm. if you want to deal with the underlying issue of Brexit and it being a, a long hours job, because how can you recruit them enough to make the job worth doing?
2: Yeah. Well, and you've got to take into consideration other, obviously, services as well. Obviously, health is important. But mm. I think the growth in the National Health Service has led to real problems for... Defence, whether you say it's important or not, and the housing industry. Mm. Um, so the government's balancing a lot on its plate. Well, isn't there's a really?
1: general budget deficit at the end of
2: the day. Mm. Speaking of deficit, two thirds of our hospitals are in deficit. Yeah. they yeah. Run, And a lot of the worry is a lot of the pledges made in the Labour and the Tories manifestos will just go on paying off debt, basically, and it won't go on actual yeah. patient healthcare.
3: Well, do you think then we should have a, a similar system with regards to the way the Germans work is that if you're earning over sixty eight thousand euros, which is quite high, you can opt out of the mandatory health insurance policy and go for private health care. Do we think we should be doing more to encourage higher earners to opt out of the NHS and go for a private healthcare system? I mean there is private schemes in this country, isn't there? Sure, but you're no. still eligible to yeah. to use <clears> the <throat> NHS. I guess it just alleviate probably.
1: some of the just sheer amount of people that are trying to use the NHS. Mm-hmm. Um, which can help. I'm not sure how people would feel about it. So I think it kind of
0: almost goes against one of its principles as is the issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's universal. Uh, I find the issue with America is
2: there's such a differential in healthcare. And do we really want to create a class differential in healthcare as well as? Yeah. Um,
1: but the thing is, so Austria has kind of a similar system mm. to Germany. I don't think if you were to incentivize people who earn above, would you say 68? 68, 68,000 euros. Yeah. I don't think it would automatically turn into america because it hasn't in germany i don't feel like mm. and i we were on private insurance in austria and the the system is so doctors can be at the same time public doctors and private doctors mm. so they open their clinic hours according to whenever they're being private or public
2: but we I don't we, feel we, like... we do have a system of private and public do you, are you saying that we just don't advertise private enough I think maybe.
3: I think certain mm-hmm. things... So we do, I,
2: I, like, I was private last year uh, with Bupro. I'm sure a lot of people are. My yeah. company offered it. My dad is as well. His company offers it. So we do have comprehensive private healthcare in the mm-hmm. country. It's just, should we try and...
3: I think we should encourage people to okay. use that because, for example, for me, I'm covered under my mum's scheme. So my mum gets healthcare through work. I'm covered on it. I think my dad's covered on it as well. So if I had a medical issue, though, my instant reaction would be Oh well I need to speak to see my GP.
1: Why would
2: why?
3: Just Did because that's like? what you're socialized to do. Mm-hmm. You just you would contact your GP. Whereas I don't You only
2: contact Booper or things like that. Because one one it's quite hard to set up. There's a lot of yeah. admin. So you, and whereas NHS is just You just show exactly. up. Exactly. Um so perha- perhaps yeah, that that's a good plan. Because the only time I've ever used Booper is when I've called my GP. They've said the waiting time will be this length and then is almost the fallback. Yeah. Perhaps we should prioritise somewhere Just, like to be, to be the yeah.
3: go-to. And maybe we should encourage companies to also partially shoulder the burden of that. So maybe we should encourage more companies to provide healthcare to people so that they can... Or, or even possibly supplementary healthcare for certain services. So maybe you'd go to the NHS for all your emergency needs, but then certain things you'd go through private healthcare. So yeah. sort of dentistry, glasses, all
0: that sort of stuff. It's whether that, it's it's covered? Whether, here in the NHS, uh, up it until you're 16, 19, okay, yeah, 19, 19. So I 19. For, uh,
1: Spanish healthcare doesn't cover anything to do with dentists.
0: Mm. it's the dentist. so I think same with glasses. Actually, Corbyn's plan was mm. check-ups, wasn't it? That's why ever resigned. Also, isn't prescri- prescriptions cost eight pound eighty-nine? Nine, country, nine it? pounds. It's gone up now. Nine pounds. They are nine pounds. Uh, in Wales, they are. Guess how much? Ooh, 3 Free. In Scotland... <laughs> it's evolved, it's devolution, isn't it? Mm. In Scotland they are
2: fever hasn't it? They're not free in Scotland, um, But then what you gotta think about that private thing is there, there's a report saying that the sickest five percent of the population consumes fifty percent of total healthcare costs. Oh sorry, wait, no, Scotland doesn't have them Scotland, Scotland doesn't, doesn't, have, doesn't have it anymore. So. Yeah. Whereas the healthiest fifty percent consume only three percent.
3: Well, yeah, it's like the cost to uh the cost of an eighty five year old to the NHS versus a thirty year old is five times greater.
2: So perhaps 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 in the pensions, if these if private healthcare is included, that would lower the cost far more, wouldn't it? Mm. So as part of your pension, you get you still get your health your private health insurance. But already
3: you've got issues with how can, can people live off their pensions at the moment. So I guess if you're adding a healthcare lem, element to that, will a pension be able to cover them and the healthcare? But I, but for a working adult, maybe that they are five times less of a burden on the NHS. But as a working adult, you could be funded by your
2: employer
0: yeah any every little helps at this point yeah so you may have heard but there is an election coming up on the uh 12th of december and uh boy is it a big one there's two big issues here brexit and the nhs we've already kind of talked about brexit in the previous podcast so we'll uh we'll avoid that for now But uh, first up is Boris Johnson. He's uh, going in hard with some uh, pretty big pledges. He was very proud to announce, uh, in his own words, on the steps of Westminster, of the steps of um, Number 10 Downing Street, that he plans to build 40 new hospitals uh, and spend £13 billion in doing this. Some people are quite, um, let's say... Sceptical. Sceptical of it, and say that it's actually going to be six hospital upgrades over 20 years with over five years sorry which is uh quite different um apparently the uh conservatives to actually implement this 40 new hospital plan would have to get in power in the next two subsequent elections after this one there is a 70 million plan to recruit a thousand mental health no- nurses in 12 pilot areas an extra 33.9 billion each year by 2023 50,000 more nurses and 50 million more GP surgery appointments per year. Now 50,000 more nurses and I assume more GPs if you're getting 50 million more appointments. Um well how how is that going to happen because if he's getting an Australian style point system for his immigration and trying to encourage more nurses either through training or immigration that's going to be quite difficult isn't it <laughs> sure well Australian nurses are 10 out of 10 points so it's fine that yeah.
3: how it I think, works i think everyone every nurse gets 10 to 10 points when they need to come
2: in what we do have to say is plan investment in the nhs from any from the ma- two major parties are both planning on investing more in the World. nhs than now
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, which is good i think Obviously, the Lib Dems are planning on a budget surplus, Yeah, which so, would be interesting to see well, that's Well, that. that's just real austerity. That's real austerity. Real austerity, we haven't yeah, seen so, so, the Tories hope to train, their plan is to train more nurses. So, they've reintroduced the maintenance grants of between 5 and 8k uh, for students. But these grants were scrapped in 2017, so they're just reintroducing them.
3: Yeah. It seems like a lot of the policies are fixing the like, damage we, that's already Oh, happening. we've cut yeah. something. Oh, it didn't go very well. Okay, but we've also not seen enough detail on a lot of their policies, such mm. as the points-based immigration system. They haven't explained how who's getting what points. So is a doctor going to be like ten They'll points? they haven't
1: explained how Brexit's going to
3: happen. That's also true, that's, but that's true. a minor issue realistically. Um, but like <laughs> doctors and nurses, how many points are they? Like, are they going to get be encouraged to come in? Like, how does that work?
2: I mean, I think obviously they're trying to include foreign recruitment, and they they claim to try and increase better like pursue better policy policies of retaining nurses. Um. But yeah, I think we need more specifics from them. But also, I think while the, the grants are being reintroduced,
0: tuition fees are still yeah. existing for yeah. these nurses. Well, but do you want to go on to? I heard someone else has a yeah. solution to that, don't yeah, they? Yeah, uh, a, a boy named uh, Mr. Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> <Jezza>. As <laughs> big Jezza, <laughs> As part of his 150 billion pound social transformation big Ooh. shiny look at this thing Ooh. Um. Oh, can I just say by the way when I was looking at these manifestos before Labour's website is a lot better than the Conservatives I agree oh, it's yeah okay
1: I... even with the lack of funding
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah with the lack of funding
3: but at the same time if you do search the Labour website for me the Conservative uh, website came up in an
0: ad that's <laughs> quite clever. it's
2: just oh, it's it's clever, clever, is clever I was like nice no.
3: very
0: clever marketing Um. but yeah carry on Jay uh, sorry um so they want to restore public sector pay to at least pre-2008 levels including adjusting for inflation and it, mm. basically it's like an actual real value mm. um uh return to pay they will do this by having a five percent pay increase per year wow which is um five percent five percent we should get into nursing yeah i think we should um, increase expenditure across the health sector by 4.3% a year. They want to end in reverse privatization, and they also want to pledge 1.6 billion a year to mental health services, doing to, to ensure that access to treatment is on par with that as of physical health, which I think is a great pledge mm, personally. Uh, well. Mental health is one of the services that was cut most aggressively during. Um, during the austerity years. So I think also
3: the, the important thing is if you look at the top causes of death um, in the like that are recorded for, in the UK, it's like suicide is mm-hmm. so high up there.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: also if you deal with the issue before it becomes something that you then have to treat. So for example, people who try to kill themselves, you then have to treat them. And so realistically, if you can deal with mental health effectively, then
2: that'll save money
3: on your investment, in, in theory. Yeah,
2: I think overall spending, according to uh, John McDonald's favourite source, the IFS, uh, spending in 2023-24 would be 2.3% higher under Labour's plans than the Conservatives. However, recent polling has shown that, well, at the beginning of the election campaign, internal Conservative polling showed that the public trust Boris Johnson more with the NHS than Jeremy Corbyn. Now that's parity. Mm. And I think... Labour have really pushed the NHS front and yeah. they're claiming that the NHS is up for sale, and perhaps we can see a change of the guard in that, in that Jeremy Corbyn can gain traction through his policies on the NHS. His issue with that is Boris Johnson is still planning on spending a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. It. So it's whether that washes with the public.
0: The issue, I think my issue with um, Boris Johnson uh, wanting to spend a lot of money on it is the fact that we've spent 10 years nearly where his government has said like, oh no we can't spend any money it's not his government it's not his government it is, but the government it, it, that he was voting to, in favour of it's to say it's a new, it is a new it will be a new government but he, yeah. he
2: was an advocate of austerity so well, I just, but you, it's hard to say his government because the comeback would be it's not my it wasn't my yeah. policies it was yeah, Theresa May, David Cameron he wasn't introducing them but he was supporting them so I think that at that time
3: you've got to say can you trust him on the NHS when he introduced the policies that he's not, or he helped
2: support the policies that he's now trying to counteract. But surely you've got to look to the future and not the past and look at the manifesto policies. Labour is still spending far more money, it's mm-hmm. important to say. What the public will have to decide is whether these spending pledges are feasible.
0: Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think I think one of the big things that there's with both parties is the fact that we've spent all this time trying to cut back on the deficit and how gonna... much yeah running up again potentially so that'll be interesting it's also
2: important to note that again a lot as you were saying a lot of these manifestos they're very very vague very vague yeah boris came out with his pledge today to fix adult social care which is a major issue um Mm -hmm. it's affected me personally i'm sure it's affected a lot of people but the manifesto basically was saying that to fix that he never he didn't give any specifics he just said no one will have to sell their home to pay for care so great so That that shouldn't be happening anyway. Um, obviously (laughs) it's good. No one, he's right. No one should be. He's right. But it's how are you going to make sure of that? Labour's promised a a lower target of twenty-four thousand nurses. However, perhaps that's because but they're making tuition fees free and as well as the as well as the uh, maintenance grants.
0: Yeah, I I, think I think with Labour they've they've got to they've got this such a radical. Uh, manifesto that they are they in some parts they have to try and at least kind of make it look achievable. Yeah. Um. Well, the IFS in particular say it isn't.
2: Yeah. However, what Labour voters need to remember and what voters need to remember is even if some of these policies and not all of them are enacted, then that's still yeah an it's still investment. An it's still it's, there yeah. will still definitely be an increase in investment in the NHS. Yeah.
3: We've also I don't think we've got a fully costed Tory manifesto, have we?
2: It's... Well, the BBC have said today that it's far less than Labour. It's a gradual, slow change, basically. Mm. So it's not in the tens of billions, it's in the billions. But well, yeah. so we don't have um, where the
3: money's coming from with
2: the ZOE, we just have what they're planning So Boris has said that today in the manifesto that there will be tax increases. Okay. It will just be less compared to Labour, but then that equates to the less spending mm. that... But he's not
3: day. given us any figures on those tax
2: increases, has he? Or has he just said that there will be some? Uh, he said a little bit more spending and a bit more tax, basically. I'm, I've not looked at the manifesto in great sure. details yet, but that is basically so okay. the He is in planning on increasing taxes, whereas he seems to have U-turned on that policy of yeah. cutting mm. them.
3: It's, it's interesting because um, I guess w- it would be interesting to see if he were to fully cost the manifesto, what the ifs would then think of his numbers as well mm. because it, it again his a big spend
2: post is a big spend, policy, a big spend it, manifesto. it's not a big spend though it's, well, it's, it's, it's several in... billion yeah. a year of extra spending not several tens of billions so it can be easily mm. it, it's more easily costed than the labor one. sure but again i guess with
3: the track record so far of tory spending plans not necessarily coming out as realistic with the brexit ones in particular is what
2: i'm thinking of yeah and i mean they, question. they've been, been stupid uh, this is well, this is a debate for another podcast but they've been very very stupid in releasing figures that are not true yeah especially in ho- housing i think um election cast david Blunkett was saying they've they pledged 260 they've said they've built 260,000 when they've actually built 100. And, on one hundred thousand, just say the one hundred thousand. That's still, yeah, it's still like, an
3: impressive. Still <laughs> exactly. I mean, we haven't really spoken about the Lib Dem one, but again, I guess I don't think, um, given the legacy of austerity, budget surplus is very,
2: very interesting. <sighs> um I haven't looked at their manifesto, but I would like to see how or what money would be going for the NHS. I, I would
3: be amazed to see how they're going to reconcile us os- real austerity to so a more toughened form of austerity with the state of the nhs as it stands. uh i i mean obviously we should we need to look at the manifesto to
2: really i think
0: the Lib Them manifesto uh, is a podcast in of itself to be yeah honest. i think Celebrate definitely a next That's like, a weird next one.
2: election is next podcast should be an election podcast Ooh, yeah
0: wow. Ooh, we're so, we're so in the sea next, right? so in the sea um <laughs> yeah i, I just want to just make one last point about Labour's uh plan to reverse privatization um what do we think what do we think about privatization? It's 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 this issue that always gets bandied around of like mm. the, the NHS is being sold off, it's being privatized, it's horrible. But like, what do what does it mean? Like, you know, we get told all the time that the NHS is being privatized, but what does that actually mean? Um basically it's just independent providers who like Virgin Care get contracts from the NHS mm. and they get paid to do a job that the NHS decides it doesn't want to do it itself yeah. for various reasons like cost or it's just they don't have the resources available. Isn't that, so a private is that the to Germany? Uh Yeah, it's, it's uh,
3: multiple providers, private providers, but okay. you have it funded. But I think my scepticism with that is it's all about how you would regulate them because yeah. if you look at Definitely. what's happened with uh, like nursing homes in this country. Or virgin care. Or virgin care itself. That's a really good one. Like, they have, I think it's a failure of regulation. If you're going to privatize, you need to have an incredibly strong regulator with very yeah. big teeth. Because otherwise, you end up with like nursing homes where the, the costs skyrocket and people uh, ended up like like thousands in debt just to, just to live because the costs are so high. And the care provided is not to the standard that you would hope. Mm-hmm.
2: And again, going back to what we said earlier, we don't want it to be a postcode lottery where yeah. your position in the country determines what sort of, kind of healthcare you get. Yeah. It should be one fits at one, yeah. fits all. It should be no. universal healthcare. Oh, okay. I but think it's, it's an interesting, it, maybe it, I don't know about how Germany works with that, but perhaps it does work really well. I don't have any figures on that, um, but as long as it, we make sure that healthcare standards, as you were saying, remain mm-hmm. the same, well, I think,
1: which yeah. I think it would. I mean, this is still Europe. I feel like there's quite a big consensus on the fact that nobody wants this to turn into america
3: yeah absolutely and i mean we have no figures on
2: how these privatized sectors compared to
3: well i know that in germany um for example the way that it works is that um quite often hospitals are very nearly non-for-profit like they they make a very very small profit and profit isn't necessarily incentivized so i guess how are you going to create a market mm-hmm. that incentivizes people to get into it if the profit motive is very low yeah i'm sure virgin
2: would want to try and make a Profit. Now, yeah, no exactly one, and, profit
3: and if it. you've and if you've got a regulator that prevents them making a significant profit, well enough that they do it? I mean, you look at um, the collapse of was it Southwest Rail?
0: Yeah.
3: um They just the, their profit wasn't there anymore, so they were like, "Well, we don't want to provide the service." So then, who picks up the slack?
2: Southwestern Rail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's the. I think that's one of the issues, though. Is that there's a very big difference between running trains for profit and looking after people's health for profit. Exactly. I yeah. think.
2: Perhaps healthcare isn't moral, is isn't moral
0: argument. there is a, yeah exactly healthcare is in my in my eyes anyway is a human right yeah well, I think eighty
2: seven percent of the population are like are proud of the NHS as yeah. it is yeah. and the second to the fire brigade really interesting interesting but yeah it shows that it's a much loved institution we saw Ooh. the Olympics when we championed the NHS they in the opening ceremony mm. so I saw that two thirds of uh, it is part of what makes you British yeah two thirds of
3: people in the country. Oh, when polled, apparently said um, the the NHS was Britain's greatest achievement.
1: Mm. It's quite an interesting, like cultural thing, because mm. I mean, coming from countries that have a very similar system in terms of like you don't have to pay for anything when you yeah. go in. It's not really a, like just a point of identity for us. Mm. Like it's just a given. Because
2: we, it's because we pioneered it. it. It's <laughs> we also, it. fantastic why. branding nhs yeah
1: but i think it's kind of like you just raised like repeating like yeah it's more state than other countries
2: though isn't what? it it's, it's more state uh, run than uh, more like, cent- yeah. it's, so more se- it's more it's not necessarily more centralized
3: C- because a lot of it a lot of it's more regional although it been countries.
2: outsourced to nhs england which is basically part of it but just
3: yeah you nhs know, england is yeah it's the yeah, in. It there's exactly. there's they're completely separate organizations now really the uh Scottish, Welsh, and Northern mm. Irish ones.
0: They've been separate
3: for a long time. A long it's just time. The evolution
2: has
0: maybe you know yeah. forced that further on. Well, I think uh, I think that covers everything in a kind of roundabout, rambly way. We will discuss uh, the Americans. In a later podcast, when they're... we've got a while for that. The uh, uh, the election is yeah. until 2020. Isn't you know. There is also <laughs> a, <laughs> an, a show called The Americans. Really good, actually. Uh, yeah, I can we will not be, be discussing that show. UK, yeah, you UK elections got to be there. Yeah,
1: well.
0: we've got to, we've got to have a priority. So uh, stay tuned for that one. We, yeah, we're very see. excited for. It. In fact, we've got to get it out quite soon because we've only yeah. got, we've got a month <laughs> um, But uh, thank you for listening to Nothing Worth Saying, and uh, we'll see you next time.